The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. Being an ally is a lot more than just attending Pride or getting a rainbow sandwich at Marks and Spencer. We need to be stepping back and looking at our talent management processes, everything from recruitment, which I think people are spending a lot of time on, but there's no point in bringing in and recruiting people if you haven't worked on your culture within your organization. So when they arrive, they have the tools to be successful, to stay at that organization and to move up and be promoted and advanced. Hello listeners, it is Yasmin here. And I spoke to Daniel Winterfeld back in June and we recorded that podcast then because it was Pride Month in June. But you see, since then, as you know, the world has gone completely bonkers. COVID-19 is still around, unfortunately. And actually, my world has completely changed because a bit of an update for you, I have had a beautiful baby boy. And so my world will never be the same again. What you will hear in this interview is undoubtedly Daniel's passion. He is incredibly passionate about diversity and inclusion issues. He is thought of as a global thought leader on talent management, culture and diversity and inclusion. And you will hear how articulate Daniel is about these issues. It's a really interesting podcast and interview, I think, and Chambers and Partners Describe Daniel as unquestionably one of the best US lawyers in London, so definitely worth a listen to hear what he has to say. Also, Daniel, if you're listening, Kaylee and I, the producer, are definitely going to take you up on your offer. When the world returns back to normal, we are going to go to the Ivy for drinks. The Hearing. I'm really excited to have my next guest, who is Daniel Winterfelt. Um, He's the person we thought of because it's Pride Month this month, as it is every June. And we thought of Daniel because he's got an impressive CV. He's a partner at Reed Smith, founder of Interlaw Diversity Forum and Forum for US Securities Lawyers in London. He's thought of as a global thought leader on talent management, culture and diversity and inclusion. And to top it off, he's also been Um, given the position of QC of March of this year. So very impressive CV. We are very excited to have you, Daniel. Welcome to The Hearing Podcast. Great. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here and, you know, humbled by that introduction. I do have to (laughs) correct, I am an honorary QC. Um, An honorary QC. Yes, I'm an honorary QC. It's a little bit different. But um, yes, that was awarded in March this year and a huge honor recognizing my contributions in the UK to capital markets and diversity and inclusion in the legal sector. Congratulations and apologies for that error. But um, thank you. I stand corrected. Um, <laughs> Daniel, we we are excited to have you here because it's Pride Month. And I think it'd be interesting for our listeners to get an idea of you know, what's going on now with with Pride? Because obviously, because of lockdown, COVID-19, Pride is not taking place this year. I believe it will be taking place next year. Um, What does does Pride mean to you, first of all? I want to understand your story, really, and, and what relationship you have with Pride. Well, look, I think that Pride is really important because if you think about what the antithesis to Pride is, is shame. And I think you grow up being LGBT plus. And whenever I say LGBT, the plus is always there, always being inclusive. Um, the It's really important that people who grow up feeling ashamed for who they are 
and keeping that secret. Because when you talk to anybody who's LGBT, they will tell you from a young age, they have known that they are different. They know that something is different. And that feeling is a feeling you carry with you. And not only do you know that you're different, but you also know that it's something that is wrong or potentially viewed by your family or your community as something shameful or society as something mm -hmm. shameful. In many jurisdictions, it's illegal to be you and it's very dangerous to be you. Um, you know, um, violence is real, um, you know, abuse is real, discrimination is real. So I think we grow up from a young age. And if you look at, you know, kind of mental health in the LGBT plus community, we're all at a higher risk for, um, for suffering from things like depression and anxiety. And that's even, um, those rates are even higher for more vulnerable members of our community when you look at intersectionality or you look mm. at trans or non-binary elements. So for me, what's important about Pride is, is having a time of year where you can reflect on um, who you are, where you can feel proud of who you are, where you can celebrate LGBT plus history, where you can celebrate role models. And also I think it's a time to reflect and look on that progress that we've made, but also look forward to what we need to do because we are always on a journey when it comes to um, equality law mm. and civil rights. Mm. I'm going to take you back a bit because um, I've said to other guests before, we are kind of in the diversity and inclusion bubble. Now, not all of our listeners may sort of understand the term intersectionality. Would you just explain to our listeners what you mean when you say that? Great. Yeah, very happy to do that. So um, mm. intersectionality is a concept that was originated in New York by a professor um, named Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. I believe she's at Columbia. And she coined the term to talk about intersectional feminism to explain that the experiences of white women is not the same as the experiences of African-American women. So the original work around intersectionality was talking and explaining the differences in experiences and that women are not a monolith. And that people needed to, when they talked about feminism, think about that intersectionality. So since that term was coined by Dr. Crenshaw, um, it, it has expanded out to talk about those different diversity characteristics and where people fall into those different protected classes under the Equalities Act. You could also apply it to social mobility. You know, those different boxes you tick, that's intersectionality. So if you are a woman who's also a woman of color, who's mm. also Muslim and also has a disability, those are kind of four intersectionality ticks. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that. I just think it's important to explain the terminology sometimes. Because you, I know, for Interlaw, just firstly, tell us a little bit about Interlaw Diversity Forum. Why, why did you set that up? Well, I started that in 2008. So 12 years ago, well now almost 12 and a half years ago, um, because I, I've been openly LGBT throughout law school and throughout my career um, mm. in law school in New York. I went to law school in Fordham. In fact, I marched to my first pride parade in, 19, in the summer of 1996 in New York. Um, and it was very much a protest. Um, it was signs, it was political. Um, there weren't, there's no glitzy floats. There was no parties. It was very serious um, business and marching for rights. And um, I came to London in 2000 and the comparison, obviously it's been 20 years, we've made a lot of progress in the UK, but back then it was very, very different. And I think it's important for people to remember that when it comes to equality, there's the law, but then there's also societal acceptance and your social experiences. So mm. just because you have the law in the books doesn't mean you have equality. So for example, we can look at how long women have been had full legal rights, but we still have a you know shocking gender pay gap. 
Um, mm. So the the law is the beginning of your of your journey in civil rights. You can have your legal rights, but what you want is societal acceptance and true equality and fairness, um, and that's what people are looking for. So um, that's a journey that we're we're still on. So within interlaw and coming here in sorry coming here in 2000 and realizing there was really an issue because when i came here there were no diversity networks there were no diversity committees there was nothing for anybody this wasn't even something that people talked about so in about 2008 i'd been here in in living in london for eight years when i'd been in new york in the late 90s every you know every people were out people were in senior roles you know, even at that time, the first law firm I worked at in London at Wall Gottschall, our head of banking in New York, was mm. uh, openly gay and is still the head of banking there. Um, there's, there were role models and there were out professionals even on the social scene. But when I came to London, I went out socially and there were no professionals. People were socializing in kind of members clubs or, you know, private places, not, not publicly. And also within the workplace, people just weren't out. I think by 2008, when I became a partner, um, and I joined Simmons and Simmons. There were only three law firms in London that had LGBT networks, and the same three firms were the only firms that monitored sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. So um, I knew that I could sit at Simmons and Simmons and make it the best place for LGBT people in London, um, in London or in the UK. But I really was interested in addressing this issue at a sector-wide basis because there was a sector-wide issue. So I launched Interlaw as a place for LGBT people to come together every month as well as allies. And we had that concept from the beginning. Um, we had a supporters list. And um, even if you didn't have a network and there was nothing activity going on at your firm and you didn't have role models, we were going to create that space. And that really, we were tapping into something that was there. Our first meeting, we had 120 people sign up and over 70 came. And I looked in this room and I really almost cried thinking, mm. who are you people? Where have you been? So we mm -hmm. started with a boom and it really just started gathering from there. Mm. And you talk about, I think it's important because some people just don't understand why your sexuality needs to be an issue, why it's important, why it's in, important to be able to be open about it. I mean, I, I, I get it, but I think it's important for those listeners who aren't familiar with these kind of stories about what it means to people to be able to be out. You talked about you know, the opposite of pride is shame, and also we know the shocking statistics of uh, people in the LGBT plus community experiencing disproportionately high numbers of, of mental health incidents um, because of what they go through. What does it what does it mean for you, Daniel? What did it mean for you when you couldn't be out, when you couldn't share with your colleagues about aspects of your life? What, what does that do to you? Could you just give us a, an insight into that? Well, I mean, I was out. My, I, w I have been out my whole career, so I came mm. out in university, but no one else was. So what happens um, when 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 you're out and other people aren't? I mean, I did face a lot of difficulties with 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 people who were senior to me who were not out, who were not happy with me being out, and that made mm. you know them uncomfortable. But I think that you know the idea of um, what what happens in the workplace is, you know, people say your sexual orientation is a private matter. In our research, we saw that's very much a generational position in the UK. People who are 50 and up, many of them hold that belief, but people 50 and down tend not to. Um, it, that is a, it's a bit of a distorted view um, about what people are actually sharing, because the reality mm -hmm. is everyone every day who's heterosexual is out. You walk yes. into work, you talk about your girlfriend, your 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 wife. You talk about your children. You tell people what you did on the weekend. If you Absolutely. are 
LGBT plus and you are hiding who you are, you are unable to speak about your um, about your significant other. You're unable to speak about your families. You're mm -hmm. unable to bring many aspects of yourself to work. You will not mm -hmm. have personal pictures in your office. You will be constantly hiding um, and covering, you know, who you are. And that takes a lot of energy and it also brings that those feelings of shame up, of being not good enough. And if you can't bring your whole self to work, then you're unable to perform to your full potential because that is a, a waste and a drain of energy. You're constantly searching for the pronoun to be neutral. You're constantly, you know, hiding and not wanting and, you know, avoiding those conversations. And a lot of what happens at work when you um, build relationships with your colleagues and with your managers, it's, you know, and with clients, it's all about trust within the legal sector. All mm. we are selling is legal advice. So we are not selling widgets. We're not selling, you know, t-shirts at Burberry. We are selling, you know, ideas and we're selling people. So if people don't trust you and they don't feel close to you, you are not going to get promotions and advancements. You're not going to be trusted with significant work and clients may not want to work with you. So mm. it's really important that people are able to walk into work be themselves, feel open, feel accepted. Otherwise, you are not getting the best out of your staff and you're also creating a pretty unhappy environment for those people. So I do mm. challenge people who think this is a private matter. Um, yeah. you know, no one is talking about personal details of what they're doing in the bedroom or their mm. preferences. That obviously is a private matter. But your orientation and particularly your relationships are completely something that everybody talks about every single day all the time. Absolutely. Um, I think that's a brilliant way to summarize it and, and really get people to understand this is a business issue um, and people's well-being is important and their, you know, their, their personal lives, who, you know, who they're in a relationship with, their families is obviously, we, we all talk about that at work. I often challenge people as well if they say, you know, it's a private matter. So, well, if someone asks you, what did you do at the weekend? And you've got to watch your pronoun, which pronoun you use, who you spent time with. That takes a lot of work and it's also exhausting as well. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that dedicates less time to being productive at work and just getting on with the job, really, and not having to worry about this stuff and be judged for it. So that, that's brilliant, Daniel. That, I think that summarizes it pretty well. Yeah, and one more thing to add on that point is that imagine if you come from a family that's unaccepting of you being LGBT or perhaps your community your church are unaccepting of you being LGBT plus, sometimes mm. your workplace is the only place where you could be accepted and be yourself. So, yeah. you know, and that's particularly true if you are running, you have international operations and perhaps you're working in countries where it may be um, even less accepted and there may be legal issues. Sometimes the only place people actually have the opportunity to, to be their whole selves is inside the workplace. Mm. So um, you're providing a real service to those people if you not only get the best of them by allowing them to be themselves, but you also in engender incredible loyalty. And those people will work incredibly hard for you. Um, yeah. And some of the best workers around will be those people. Yeah, that's so true. I, it reminds me, actually, because I remember speaking to uh, a young trainee uh, in a big firm about that very issue. And he came from a quite a religious background and he came out to his mum and dad and both of them took it very, very badly. Um, and he said, the only place I can be myself is at work because there was a partner there who was gay um, and, 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 you know, they would meet for coffee and they would chat to each other. And he just felt accepted. And that was the only place he actually felt safe um, so that really rings true. And for him, it was everything that he had that space to be himself, because when he went home, it was a completely different story. So 
it's good to know there's somewhere he could go to to talk to somebody and be you know be comfortable um daniel i'm interested um i've read a lot about how covid19 is actually affecting the lgbt plus community um and there seem to be a lot of issues there could you sort of let us know in in, in greater detail how it is affecting people from that community well um definitely there is a lot of um of information coming out of lgbt plus charities that work with um either homelessness or um vulnerability around mental health and we're seeing a huge uptick in service users so charities like the albert kennedy trust that work with homeless and at-risk lgbt plus youth um, places like stonewall housing they're seeing, seeing a huge surge in vulnerability both from an from the, the economic and social impacts of the crisis. There's also been a recent survey conducted by the EU looking at LGBT plus community across Europe and showing that the youth and the elderly are more vulnerable, that um, when you look at intersectionality across things like race and disability, that those groups are also even more vulnerable. Um, and also that trans and non-binary, we've already seen that there's you know a rollback of rights in certain jurisdictions. There are um, issues around you know reform of the Gender Recognition Act and a lot mm. of negativity in the media here for trans and non-binary people. So there is a real uptick in need for support in the wake of this pandemic. And um, just today, um, there was released um, a letter that the EU put together signed by um, some leading lights in the LGBT plus community, including people like Ian McKellen, Frank Ocean, Skin, Edward Enenful, Billie Jean King, David Furnish, and Elton John, um, signing a letter encouraging people that because there is, aren't prides this year and because of the vulnerability of the LGBT plus community, people should you know, volunteer, support charities, and support the community in other ways in order to continue the theme of pride this year. So mm -hmm. I kind of helped support that behind the scenes. And I think it's really important that we continue amplifying those messages. And that's also why we designed um, a legal pride for 2020 within the Interlaw Diversity Forum. We're doing three events. We've done one talking to two of the founders of Stonewall, looking at activism, um, intersectionality, and around gender and race with um, Lisa Power and Olivette Cole Wilson. Olivette's mm. one of only two founders of Stonewall of Color. And obviously, uh, Lisa and Olivette were there from the beginning as founders. And they talked about, um, you know, activism and what it meant to be a woman and a women and people of a person of color at that time. Our next event was on LGBT leadership. So looking forward about kind of what is the next plateau, there certainly is a real lack of senior people in law at very senior levels and also outside of law in the C-suites at the LGBT plus level, despite a lot of activity and work over the past decade in that area. And then our third event is focusing on trans and non-binary, recognizing these sort of issues that we're having today, both around hostility in the press and media, as well as potential legal rollbacks that are creating, you know, real concern and a real, um, you know, galvanizing of, of more of a movement and more activism within that space. And I think we all have to be allies inside and outside the LGBT plus community to help support those people. Mm. Yes, I listened to the Interlaw uh, Diversity One, the Legal Pride series, the, a conversation on LGBT plus activism, gender and race. That, that that was the title, which was absolutely fascinating. You you speak about um, being an ally because I think a lot of corporates, you know, um, want to do more on this issue. And actually, I've seen that a lot of big firms are doing virtual events, hosting webinars. 
I think you're you're te- you've teamed up with Freshfields as well. You're, you're doing the pink glass ceiling, um, having a panel event as well, which sounds really interesting. And and people are trying to move this online so that we don't ignore Pride Month and people have somewhere to go. Um, what else can people do to be an ally then for for the LGBT community? That's a, gr- a great question. And, you know, I do think one of the issues we have right now around diversity and inclusion activity at the corporate level and within the legal sector is that there is a lot of focus on community support and on graduate recruitment. So mm-hmm. I think people need to realize it's fantastic to sponsor Pride. It's great to have rainbow lanyards and cupcakes with, you know, glitter on them. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's great to celebrate pride. But the reality is, if you want to be doing LGBT plus equality work inside your organization, that isn't it, right? Mm -hmm. That is a a part of a much wider program around the recruitment, the the retention and the promotion of LGBT plus talent. So what we're seeing is a lot of people are focusing on the, the kind of community support side. So they're doing events, or they're doing panels, they're bringing in charities or they're doing graduate recruitment events. But the reality is if you bring four people from your from the same organization and put them in front of students and say, what's it like to be LGBT at this organization? We all have mm. to be realistic and know that, that there's not gonna be a lot of you know, critical inward looking or thinking because that's not an event where people could genuinely um, be open um, mm. about any real issues they have. And that actually then also sets us back potentially because then people who are attending that who may work with you hear that the people on the panel are having no problems. So they may think that if they're having issues that it's them and it isolates them further. And then for the people who are attending that recruitment event who may be students who may also be facing issues, they also think, well, there must be something wrong with me if I'm having barriers because all these people are saying that everything is great. Mm. So I think we have to remember that being an ally is a lot more than just kind of attending Pride or, um, you know, or getting a rainbow sandwich at Marks and Spencer. We need to be stepping back and looking at our talent management processes, everything from recruitment, which I think people are spending a lot of time on, but there's no point in bringing in and recruiting people if you haven't worked on your culture within your organization. So, so when they arrive, they have the tools and the ability to be successful, to stay at that organization and to move up and be promoted and advanced. So I think mm. it's really important. And that's true probably across the board for all diversity and inclusion. So we're also mm. living this moment now with Black Lives Matter and a real yeah. focus on anti-racism and the same goes for it. You know, it's great to do cultural events and have panels for, you know, Black History Month. But what we need to be seeing is a real shift in a change around recruitment, around retention and around promotion for black talent. So I really feel mm-hmm. like when you look at our research, we said that all these groups are, you know, disadvantaged and the more intersectional they are, the more disadvantaged they are in our research. We all have to step back and say being an ally means actually talking to people to hear what their experiences are. So if you're a manager and you want to know what LGBT plus people think about your organization, talk to LGBT plus people, give them a space where they can tell you if you're, if you want to do that, you could do a study at an organizational level and arrange, Mm. you know, round tables and have outside people come in and do a culture report for you. And that really tells you here's what's going well and here's what's isn't because every organization is different, but that's the Mm. first step. And then when you find out where your stumbling blocks are, it could be around work allocation. It could be around sponsorship and mentoring. Um, it could be around communication or leadership and role models. Whatever it is, you need to then you know come up with a, a tailored plan to support that talent. So people have to remember that's what being an ally is. Being an ally is mm. supporting LGBT plus talent that we know are going to be 
disadvantaged, but also and facing more challenges than the than the average person. But also we need to, and again, that applies across the board to all diverse groups and and people who are um, who are who, you know have social disadvantage. And then also it means. Um, you know, looking at our systems and our procedures and our culture and starting to try and remove those barriers and obstacles. Mm. Because my, I don't know if you feel this, Daniel, one of my frustrations, I guess, is that the people who are allies are kind of, they're halfway there or they're pre pretty much on board and they're the ones who will go to the diversity and inclusion events, they'll go to the pride events, they'll listen to people, they'll learn, as you say, they'll reach out to the community to try and understand better, better what the barriers are, how do we get, you know, those senior leaders who, who quite often, unless they have to give a talk at a diversity and inclusion event, they don't go. How do we, how do we get those people who make these decisions about leadership and, you know, those important business decisions, um, how do we get them to go to these events so that they are allies? Well, look, I think that, I mean, I think in most organizations, there's a lot of great messages coming out from the very, very senior levels. In fact, I mm. think quite often those messages are all, um, you know, almost pitch perfect. The problem is the, 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 they talk the talk, but they're not walking the walk. This is it. The yeah. failure is the next step down. The, you know, often I find those senior leaders will attend events and I've had fantastic engagement from senior okay. partners and managing partners within Interlaw. And sometimes they come and they say, oh, I'm just gonna do the intro. And then next thing you know, mm. they plop down in the front and they stay the whole time. But the issue mm. is they're not good at cascading down anything beyond a message of DNI is important and it's important to our clients. And I think what we need is a much better understanding of what clients are actually asking for when they ask for better results around DNI. So inside the Interlaw Diversity Forum, we've launched the Apollo Leadership Institute, and we're bringing together general counsel and senior in-house lawyers to talk about diversity, inclusion, and culture. And we're and what we're saying is we recognize the GC letters that have been written. We recognize that clients for a long time have been calling on law firms and legal service providers to have better outcomes around DNI. But what they're not doing is providing enough information on what good looks like and what those expectations actually are. And we're mm -hmm. um, doing a series of projects around toolkits to help people with relationship meetings, to help people with their panel process. We've had events with um, Google, Walmart, the American Bar Association. Um, we're, we're looking um, at adapting the model diversity survey, and that will, um, we're working with um, the, the support of the SRA and we're adapting the American Bar Association's version of that for the UK. So that will be a model data collection that is that goes deeper and wider than what the SRA is currently requiring. And that will be set, signed by clients and then pushed out to law firms. So that means mm. we'll be able to start tracking, you know, DNI data and it asks things like promotion and advancement. It asks about, um, you know, attrition, and what those numbers look like from a DNI perspective across the board. So we're going to start seeing a lot more transparency, and I think a lot more focused conversations. Um, you know, and I think we're going to have to be moving away from the kind of feel-good events and moving much more into having real conversations about um, about promotion, advancement, and what numbers look like across the board, and a lot more focus on progress um, because I think the mm. actual numbers have not changed that much in the past decade. Yeah. And in some places, it, we potentially even moved backwards. So mm. and so for all the noise around DNI, I actually don't think, I think what we need is more, um, more real action and more tangible outcomes. Um, so I'm mm. hoping that we're entering a phase where um, 
we can kind of harness this moment where people are very focused on equality and talking about you know anti-racism and um and and hopefully turn that into real real um action for tangible outcomes and tangible change because mm. with the with the blm movement as you say you know people are taking notice now but it's not enough that firms just you know say we support black lives matter or empowering our, our black staff you know we could need to look inside the organization what, what what are the figures saying where are you now what 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 strategy do you have it's really important and as you say it's the same with with the lgbt plus community it's not good enough just to attend pride or have a float there as a corporate or just uh, have a rainbow flag outside your building people will be looking inside those organizations wanting to know well how is it to work as a black person uh, in that legal profession how is it as a gay person or, or anyone from the lgbt plus community so i think it is shining a light which is which is really important and um, we know lawyers like um, stats and data and everything and um, i think interlaw you you've been working with stonewall haven't you for the last 11 years and um i read also about stonewall's workplace equality index um, which has made significant um, strides for law firms now to be um, in the top 100 employers when it comes to um, LGBT plus people um, thriving in their workplaces. Could, could you tell us a little bit about um, Stonewall's Workplace Equality Index? Sure. Um, we've been working with Stonewall now for 12 years, um, promoting oh, 12 their index. Years, I think yeah. a huge, a huge reason for a movement forward around LGBT plus equality in the legal sector has been that work with Stonewall. We rigorously focused on getting people into the workplace equality um, index into the process. And then out of that process, they then announce the top 100 employers. So that is a way to track it. So as I said, when we started, there were no law firms in the top 100 employers. We then had mm. one after the first year, we had Pinsett Masons joined or joined the first year we formed. We then saw go from, you know, in one in the top 100 to two to three. And then within six years, we had gone from second from the bottom as a sector within the index to being the number one sector. And we've been the number one or number two sector for the past, I think, five years now in the Stonewall Worker Quality Index. So the Stonewall Worker Quality Index looks rigorously at your policies. It looks at your procedures. It looks at your um, your leadership. It looks at your internal and external comms. It looks at your role models. It looks it um, it does a, a staff attitude survey or a culture test um, that you send mm. around. It also looks at your support of the LGBT plus community. Um, I think it's a great I think it's a great tool and it's still a very important one. And when I was diversity and inclusion partner at Simmons and Simmons and um, diversity inclusion partner at CMS, I would use that as the basis, not just for LGBT plus equality, but I would roll it out and use their system and what they recommended across all strands of diversity and inclusion and social mobility. Um, I do think that the, the, the caveat around that is that what it's not good at measuring right now is the depth of your senior leadership. And it's not necessarily great at measuring the culture because you're able to do very well with only one senior role model and only one senior ally. So just because you score very well on that does not mean that it's job done on LGBT plus equality. There are areas that you need to do on your own and that it's not going to tell you that you need to improve on. 
So that's where I think we are stalling a little bit and yeah. that we need more of a focus. And what they do is they um, they renew that index and they kind of raise the bar every few years, but that didn't happen three years ago. And I'm not sure what's happening this year. I know that it's currently on hold, but I still think it's a great mm -hmm. tool. It's free to fill out and use, um, but a Stonewall um, membership as a workplace champion is relatively affordable. It's not very much money. Um, so make sure you get that kind of basic UK um, package. Um, I think it's 1,200 pounds a year. It's the best 1,200 pounds a year you'll spend. Mm. Um, but if you don't have a budget at all, you can pull it up, you can fill it out for free, but you won't necessarily get the feedback. But it is a tool and it's still a very useful tool to use to kind of start you on that journey. And one of the things we do with an interlaw is we did twice a year events around it. One, sharing best practice on how to move forward and how the legal sector performed well. Another one, celebrating the people who entered into the top 100. And we did our own sector specific top um, top list that highlights the people just outside the top 100. And that's grown from a top 10 to a top 15 to a top 20 to now a top 25, um, because mm. there's so many people doing well within the sector. Um, and we also have published and we have up on our website, a guide for the legal sector on filling out the work equality index. So that's up there and available on the interlawdiversityforum.org. Um, or if people want to download that and check it out. So I do think yeah. um, it's a great it's, a, it's, you know, it is a great tool and it's one of the reasons why we moved forward and it's why the legal sector has been successful in, in collaborating and working together. And I speak to organizations a lot about yeah. how to fill the index out and kind of help them and support them. And that's been a great tool to just move things forward. Yeah, that's really useful, Daniel. Thank you. I'm sure that'd be useful for a lot of law firms who want to start their journey or they're in the middle of their journey of trying to get better at improving things for for their lawyers who are LGBT plus, um, so they can find information as well about events and all the other stuff you're doing on on your website, Interlaw Diversity Forum. That's all, all the resources are available there. Absolutely, you can see our research, our publications. If you want to go in there and explore, there's there are videos, there's information on all the networks. We've been doing events um, during COVID nineteen online. Those are so that a lot of them have been recorded, and those are also available on the website. So there's, and we've also done um, a podcast called Purple Rain, which is available. So we're going to plug a podcast on a podcast, but that's highlighting LGBT plus and ally role models looking through intersectionality. And there's some amazing conversations with people in law, but also outside of law. So we talked to people like Magnus, Magnus Hastings, who's an English photographer, who's in LA, mm -hmm. who's known for his very colorful photos of celebrities and a lot of drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race, the stylist for Sex in the City, um, Patricia Field, we've interviewed her in Miami, along with um, a Grammy award-winning DJ who's, um, who's, uh, who's out, Tracy Young, who's a fantastic lesbian role model and an amazing person and human being. Um, so really cool stuff, it's very fun. And then there's an, another amazing woman called Mia Yamamoto, who was born during World War II in an internment camp for Japanese Americans, born as a boy, uh, became um, a civil rights activist and a criminal lawyer, defense lawyer in America, in LA, and in her 60s transitioned into Mia Yamamoto and did it publicly in the legal press. And she is mm. now um, pretty much an icon in LA as a civil rights activist, as a, um, as a trans activist, and just as an amazing human being. Um, and she plays in a rock and roll band in her 70s and has an amazing wife who's a biologist. Wow. So she is um, one of my icons and heroes. So definitely check those out. It's super interesting. But there's lots on our website. So poke around. And all of our events are free and open. So people can click on there and register.
that's brilliant. I think that'd be useful for for uh, anyone in the LGBT plus community as well, going through whatever journey they're going through and, and having access to the resources, to the podcasts, to the webinars. Um, it's all fantastic stuff. Absolutely. And I was going to quickly say as well, what's great about it is for allies who are wanting to learn, it's a great way mm. to hear people's journeys and hear people's stories and really mm. learn. Um, you know, I think I think being an ally is all about empathy and we all can be mm. allies for each other. And so I think it's incredibly yeah. important. And that's one thing with an interlaw. You know, we went and expanded from LGBT+. We now have a race and ethnicity network. That network has grown in the past three years to over 3,000. Our LGBT yeah. plus network is 3,100. We have our disability network, which is two years old, two and a half years old. And we're launching a women's network this year. And then everything we do is always through that intersectional lens and always with an eye towards including allies and bringing everyone along for the ride. Mm. Definitely. Well, I need to learn something from you because I saw one law firm, um, they're doing something, and I need to be educated, Dan, you need to help me out here. They're doing something called Drag Bingo Night. What, could you explain what that is exactly? It sounds intriguing. Um, well, it's, I think it does what it says on the tin. It's literally playing bingo with drag queens as the compare. So, um, oh, I see. How fun. Yeah. Well, it sounds like fun, but at the same time, I mean, I'd rather see an event on LGBT plus leadership and hear from their LGBT plus partners, right? <laughs> so I, I encourage I encourage all activity for Pride. The thing is, there's something for everyone, right? Well, I think it's important, but I think it's important to do that as part of a broader program where you're also uh, approaching serious topics. Because I think there are, there are times where some of that can come across as a bit stereotypical and that can actually alienate some members of LGBT plus staff. So I think it all depends on your firm, your culture, and I'm not criticizing the firm mm. who did that because for them that might be spot on and the right thing to do. But if you're in a place where LGBT plus people aren't feeling comfortable and welcome yeah. and something like that is planned, then that can be an issue. And there's also an issue I think with being an ally about understanding about what your role is. And I think your role mm. is to listen. So for example, at Pride, if you want to say that you attended Pride, you're proud to be an ally and you support the community, by all means do that. But you don't get to say as, a, as an ally, it's amazing to be LGBT plus at this firm because you don't know that. And right, I've seen people no. post that and it's not for an ally to talk about LGBT plus experiences because A, even someone in the community can really only speak for themselves. Yes. Um, but it certainly isn't the place for an ally to post that because what if LGBT plus people don't actually feel that way? And it's great mm. that you've gone to a pride and it's great that you have a rainbow lanyard and you know maybe you know we have those glitter cupcakes I talked about. But it's really important to understand that you have to actually talk to LGBT people and hear from their experiences if you wanna know what they think. And one of the problems mm. that we have it's human nature to generalize our personal experiences. So we see this around gender, where if you talk to men and they do a lot of studies where they ask men, what's it like to be a woman at this firm? And the men all say, it's great, it's super equal, everything's fantastic. And then they ask the women the same question and the women say, well, it's okay, but here are some of the issues and here are some of the barriers. The men aren't doing that because they mm. are malicious or, or vicious or against the women. It's just human nature. They are being treated fairly and they don't encounter problems exactly. and they assume that's what everyone else is experiencing. So it's really important yeah. to remind people that part of being an ally is if you wanna know what women think at your firm, talk to women. If awesome. you wanna know what black people and people of color think at your firm, you have to ask them, exactly. So you have to yeah. create that space and have those conversations. It's so yeah. important. And, and that was actually proved that when the Law Society did their survey, women and leadership, 
in law, um, they ask the men that very question, you know, do you think there's equality, gender equality in, in your law firm? And, you know, the statistics were that a lot of men said, yes, I think there is. And the women completely disagreed with that. So and, and I think it's a serious point about the drag bingo, because I thought, oh, that is quite stereotypical. And, and it depends. I think this is important message for firms. It depends how far you are on the journey. If you're doing a lot of work with LGBT um, you know, staff and listening to them, and you have done made a lot of progress in terms of how people feel at work, the culture, the policies, uh, not just recruitment, but retention, then maybe it may be appropriate to, to add that as part of, a, a, as you say, an overall programme. But if it's just, you don't want to trivialise these issues because some of these issues are incredibly important and sensitive. Yeah. So I agree, there's a balance to be struck and it can be very easy for people just to do something which see, is seen as an easy win and fun. But actually that can be even more damaging, I think, if you do something like that because it may alienate people. Exactly. And, and do young LGBT plus people look up in that organization and see one partner who's out and doing well? Or do they see a range of LGBT plus people from all aspects yeah. of the community? And that really, I think, can be an issue is that, you know, are you really plugging in? Do people feel like this is a long term career for them? And do they feel, you know, welcome and supported at all levels within the firm? Um, so, yeah, and I agree with you. So it's all kind of a case by case and it's your firm. So um, I think you, you have to do what's right for you. And I always tell people that on, you know, on their journey. And when you sit and talk to people, for example, at the Stonewall Index, you say, well, here's what a lot of firms do. And some firms go, ooh, that's not really right for us. And you really do on your D&I journey have to do what works for your organization, what feels right, what you think will work with your clients. Um, and you do have to tailor things. It's not a one size fits all solution. Absolutely. Daniel, we'll have to leave it there, but I think we've covered a lot of ground and you've given both incredibly useful advice to both people in the LGBT community and also allies and, and what law firms can actually do as a whole. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for being a wonderful guest on The Hearing Podcast. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really been an honour to be here. Thanks so much. The Hearing so thank you for listening to The Hearing Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast or if you've got any feedback, good or bad, or suggestions of guests or topics, then please do follow us on Twitter at Hearing Podcast, or you can find me at Diverse Matters. Subscribe, rate us, comment. We'd love to hear from you. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.